just uh, just hold on tight. This is a longer sermon than normal. Um, probably about a probably about a half hour. Um, so I thought I'd be upfront about that. So when you're checking your time, you'll know. So Heather told me to ruthlessly cut. I tried as much as I could, um, but that, it's tough. It's tough. So sorry about that, honey. Um, but I have some PowerPoints here that will help guide us, so we don't get too uh, so we don't get too lost. Okay. Make sure it works here. Okay, it's on, and I'm pressing that button to go forward. Ah, I did that, or you did that? That was you. Okay, it's. I wonder if I press that. Just tell you? I'll just tell you. Okay. All right, we'll go back to the beginning. Thanks, John. That's pay the big bucks to. So, all right, the message today is about agape love. Agape is different than the other three. Eros, Phileas, Storge, and I wasn't able to listen to Dan speak on those three. Um, I heard they were, yeah, it was quite delightful. Um, agape love is different because it's the highest form of love. It's the most purest and the essential characteristic of who God is. Honestly, I feel ill-equipped to even speak this message. Um, how do you really use words to describe this kind of love? Often it's, I feel it's going to come across as hollow or fake. I have faith, be it ever so small, so I understand that God is love. And without God, there is no love. Next slide. <clears throat> and so we know and we rely on the love of God that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And then the next, the next one. The highest, Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 13 says it's the highest form it's the highest virtue. And, uh, and he actually says it better than, than any of us could. It, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And then the next, love never fails. And go back or, or down to verse 13. And now these things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, is love. And then the next slide. Yet, yet his love is communicated through spirit and truth. And truth is communicated through language. Even though we're flawed and we're limited in our interpretation of that language, and because we're broken and sinful. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror directly, but then we will see face to face. So we, we only see part of this love. We can only experience it to a certain degree. So here's a, a few quotes. Um, one from Peter Kraft. It's a book I read 20 years ago on making sense out of suffering. And, uh, and, and so I've always admired that author. And he said this, Agape's object is always the concrete individual, not some abstraction called humanity. 
Love of humanity does not surprise you with inconvenient demands. You never find humanity on your doorstep stinking and begging. Wow. Whew. Next slide. It's another definition. It is not a feeling. It's a motivation for action that we are free to choose or reject. Agape is sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. Next slide. Now, just to kind of give you a little bit of a summary of what I'm going to share, is first I'm going to mention that it's not a feeling, but it's a love that flows from God. Next, I'm going to share a few tangible experiences of mine and others, which often come through painful and difficult times, but which show that only the agape love of God can cause a profound heart-level change. Then I'm going to share what the opposites of agape love is, and then I'm going to discuss John 3.16 as it relates to the highest form of love, that God's love is creative, it's vulnerable, and God acts. So first, next slide. First, it's not a feeling. Has anybody heard that song before? It's, yes. <laughs> David's got his hand up. Nice. It's not a feeling. When I had my surgery uh, back in 2018, and I was extremely nervous, and they knew it, and uh, they said, we can give you something for that. And so they did, and, and boy, I felt really good before they put me out. It was wonderful. Um, you know, but that... that Sure, it was a lovely thing for them to do, but it didn't get the job done. They still had to do the surgery. They really cared for me. They, they, they continued to do the surgery, and I had to recover from that. Um, they, they did it out of care and profit, not of agape love, of course. Um, but nevertheless, love is not a feeling. It's a divine love that flows from God, and it penetrates deeper than our own mind and soul can plumb or conjure up. Feelings are fickle and messed up, and they will lead us astray. I know they lead me astray. We need to know the truth about who we are in him. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is active, is, is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This is what God's love does. It convicts to the deepest level of one's soul. He knows how to get to the root of the human condition, to each person's soul, and get each one in touch with who he is. And this is not a feeling, but his convicting presence. I've had a few experiences of this in my life when I felt his tangible presence. I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that it hasn't been more often. But first was the time that the Lord saved me when I was uh, staying at my Uncle Pete and Aunt Alice's back in 2001. And next was just a month or two later when I was talking with my Uncle Pete on the phone and, uh, and he was praying for me and I felt the tangible presence of God in that moment. Those are, are very vivid for me because I knew that the, the presence of this divine person knew me better than I knew myself. 
And I knew that I was in the presence of someone who was all good and holy and beyond anything I could comprehend or imagine. I could never have mimicked that experience through a good addictive substance like I had during my surgery. I don't remember if I felt small or intimidated, but I felt loved at the same time. Kind of like I, I felt like the veil between heaven and earth was opened up for a moment. I felt free and forgiven. It's the only way I can explain it. And ever since, I have not wanted to d- disappoint my Lord and Savior. I, I know I have many times, far too many times. But I never want to disappoint him because of that. Paul talks about a peace that passes all understanding. Well, like what Job said, who at the end, when God was done speaking with him, remarked, and we go to the next slide. He said, I know that you could do anything and no one can stop you. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. In my experience, I would say, I have only heard about you before, but now I experienced your divine agape love inside me and all around me deeper than I could ever comprehend. Listen to what John Wesley had said. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to the Aldersgate Street. Oftentimes, you know, when we surrender, we we fight against it, right? And so we unwillingly went to the society where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and he saved me from the law of sin and death. You see, there's no cookie-cutter story. Each is unique and incredibly, and he's incredibly patient with each individual as they surrender to his love. Many, only through incredible, painful experiences will they surrender. Some, their stories are very sinful. Lives are filled with hate and pride and bitterness and shame at what their decisions have cost them and others. I think of what uh, Dan Allender had said, Give me a second here, because the quote is, he said, the absence of tumult or suffering, the absence of suffering more than its presence is an enemy of the soul. God meets you in your weakness, not in your strength. He comforts those who mourn, not those who live above desperation. He reveals himself more often in darkness than in the happy moments of life. And there are times when God does get our attention in that way, where we realize something is wrong. And again, that's God's agape love getting our attention. We can go to the next slide. (laughs) I wonder where is this coming from? I think of the time that, uh, that I had to bail. I was bailing hay out in the back 40. And all of a sudden, the tractor started to overheat, and the 
water started to bubble out of the radiator and I knew something was wrong. And uh, if I would have kept going, what would have happened? I would have blew the motor up and dad would have been very upset. Um, so I had to shut the tractor down. I had to do a 180. I needed a course correction. I realized the hose was off and had to put it back on and get some water back in the radiator, right? But those gauges, wasn't even the gauges, it was the water coming out of the radiator that kind of highlighted me, there's a problem, there's a problem, do something about it. You see, we have internal and external gauges as well that show us there's a problem. We would do well to pay attention because this is God getting our attention through his love. This is his agape love. He disciplines those he loves. God is interested in convicting our sin. It's why he sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But he never coerces. He never belittles. He never threatens. He doesn't do it through fear. I spent a bit of time in the last month doing an anxiety or doing a medication change and uh, thought I could get off the medication. There's very real fears that come when you get off your medication. And they're irrational. And it's something that, but it wasn't of God. It wasn't a fear from God. It was just my body getting messed up from a decision that I made that I shouldn't have made. Um, the point is, God's love doesn't come through fear doesn't come to those. Those are irrational, right? So it's not a feeling. Feelings come and go. It is a knowing that brings a lifelong comfort, an awe that causes us to worship and want more of him. His agape love produces a motivation to change as you begin to love him and others because you've come to believe that he has first loved you. Next slide. The opposite is of love is it's obvious. It's hate. It's lust. It's fear. It's jealousy. Greed. Indulgence. Any sin that puts ourselves on the throne of one's life, or puts ourselves before others. Pride being the worst. In the Bible, God calls the Israelites a stiff-necked people. But more than the worst, I find, is what is good. And what is good can often be the enemy of the best. Basically, it's accepting a truth that I have to go it alone. That God's not on my side. The truth that I have to love on my own strength and willpower. Or that my story is, is mine alone and, and, and sharing it's not going to do anything to help someone else. So you keep it to yourself. You feel it has nothing to do with the creative, redemptive story of God. So the good can be the enemy of the best. Sometimes. It's kind of like those who avoid gas station coffee. And they go to Tim's to get a coffee, yet they miss out on the best, which is a Starbucks coffee. That was for you, Greg. So, <clears throat> right? Now let's get to our verse, slide 12. Let's read it together. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not die, but have everlasting life. This has been called the gospel in a nutshell. Most Christians can quote the book, chapter, and verse by heart. Many non-Christians have heard it. You see it on many billboards, especially in the States. You see famous NFL players like Tim Tebow, he'll paint it, the verse, under his eyes because of the significance as a Christian witness. And if you get a chance, watch the YouTube video of, of his story on that. It's really incredible. It's really incredible. Um, watch it with your kids. It is needed more than ever in this increasingly post-Christian world. Essentially, this is the message I believed. It's the message that you believed. It's why you're here today. It's why you worship. It's why you serve. So next, next slide. What kind of love is this? It's a love that creates. Who is this God that's the embodiment of love? Well, he created the heavens and the earth. He spoke the earth and the planets into existence. In the beginning, God created, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And we see God, the spoken word, which is Jesus, because we know that from John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We see the Spirit hovering over the waters of the abyss. We see God creates, not because he needs to. He doesn't create because he needs to, but because it's out of his abundance. His love, by definition, creates and brings life. Even creating a people in his own image. Little likenesses of himself who would hopefully come to love him and praise him for who he is as the source of life and love. Just read Ephesians 1. You know, I love science, but science is still at a loss for the complexity and fine-tuning of creation. Nor is the Bible a science textbook either. But evolution, evolutionist Michael Denton had said that the complexity of the simplest known type of cell is so great that it's impossible to accept that such an object could have been thrown together suddenly by some kind of freakish, vastly improbable event. Such an occurrence would be indistinguishable from a miracle. And famed researcher Sir Fred Hoyle had reportedly said that supposing the first cell originated by chance is like believing A tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials that are there. And even Stephen Hawking had said some pretty incredible thing about the chance of the universe on its own. You see, only a creative deity who we know as our triune God could create a world so complex and beautiful but then be able to infuse it with meaning and with purpose. We too create because we are made in his image and his love inspires us to do so. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. We build, we explore, we discover, don't we? We plant crops and love to see them grow. Flowers, Animals, even goats. We love to 
see little goats, cats, and dogs. Some, it's construction. They love to build houses. I know my dad loves to renovate houses. Fine carpentry, quilts, paintings, poems. We explore distant planets even and the ocean depths. We also, we also create life when we have children. And when we cannot have children, many adopt or foster. And they provide ways and means to sustain life that is already born. Think of my good friend Rick who worked at the Children's Aid Society for 35 years dedicating his life to helping children who suffered abuse because he himself had suffered abuse as a child. I think of our neighbor Vicky who works you know, tirelessly to help children and to find them safe places. It's what we do. It's, what, it's the love of God that he has put within us to create. And with, when, life, when life is ebbing away, We'll almost do anything to keep it alive. Think of last summer, or the summer before, when our trees were inundated with those tent caterpillars. And me and Heather are out there with the pressure washer and the scraper trying to scrape these tent caterpillar bugs because they're killing our birch trees, actually killing all of our trees. It was something we didn't want to see our trees die. We, we wanted to give them life, right? So we did anything we could. And it's his love that creates and gives us the desire to create. It all flows from his love. Next, his love sustains and it never ends. Listen to the promise at the end of the powerful verse. God's purpose that his creation would not only have life, but have what? Everlasting life. Eternal life. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The agape love of God is eternal. Believing this truth in this verse has profound, is profound comfort to those who believe it. Profound comfort. As we see our bodies age, as we see our grandparents and parents pass on before us, and eventually our siblings, and even our own children that die before us. It doesn't feel right apart from the hope that we have in this eternal life. If our hope is only for this life, then we're the most to be pitied, said Paul the Apostle. And so this agape love of God creates life, it sustains life, it never does away with life. It is who God is. In the beginning, he saw what he had made, and it was very good. That same instinct is in each and every one of us as well, as his image bearers. And everyone, no matter what, I believe, has a chance to discover this love. Romans 1, everybody can see the the visible qualities of the invisible God, and they can move towards him. Next, and the most important, God's love is not just tolerant or inclusive. This is a worldly kind of love that is good and important, but often it can be the enemy of the best. 
The love God shows is intensely and exceedingly vulnerable and personal in his creation, with his creation and with his people. We're all vulnerable in a small sense when we decide to marry someone, when we have children, start a business, plant crops, and do something we've never done before. We're vulnerable in those things. There's always a risk of losing, of rejection, of failure. But our being vulnerable, taking risks, has its roots in his agape love. It makes life worth living. Just think of the parable of the talents that Jesus shares. He wants what he gives us, the love that he gives us, and he wants us to multiply it, not bury it and do nothing with it. And his purpose is to love others and to glorify him. So how vulnerable is God? We see a baby, a cross, and an empty tomb. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whosoever would believe in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. Why? Why did he do this? Why? To take away the sins of the world. Read the Old Testament. The bedrock was God's promises. It started with Adam, and then Noah, Abraham, to Moses, to David. He had to set up a temporary system of laws and sacrifices through Moses until the greatest plan of conquering sin and death could be birthed and brought to completion. The prophecies of his great plan are all through the Old Testament and they've come true, 100% of them. He sent his son for the express purpose to take away the sins of the world, a world in which he loved Sin did enter the world and it became the very fabric of creation, including the DNA of humanity. It is part of the creation's biological and evolutionary flow. We see it in invasive weeds and species, in animals who eat smaller animals, even their own young, to survive. We see it in destructive storms, drought and too much rain. We see it in diseases like cancer, Parkinson's, ALS, mental illness. And we could say, all is not right. All is not right. But mostly we see it in the sinful choices of humanity. In us who hold the image of God, who have the potential, the potential to show the greatest good, show the greatest love in the highest way. We think of our soldiers who have given their life for our freedom as an example of that. We, we think of people uh, like Mother Teresa, I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who left America to go back to Nazi Germany to to try to do something to stop the madness and he lost his life. But the risk God apparently took was that humanity would also have the potential to abuse this freedom and entice and be enticed into tremendous hate Lust, idolatry, selfishness, and pride. That list of vices can go on. But you know, we're all guilty and we fall short of the glory of God, says Paul in Romans 3. There is an invisible battle waging for the souls of humanity. We may not see it, we may not, but we do see its effects. 
Just watch the news. Read the statistics. Better yet, talk to someone who has suffered injustice, abuse, and cruelty, and abandonment. That's when your heart will be broken and you will begin to understand that all is not right. And the Bible is clear on this. Next slide. But the focus of his love, his creating love, his sustaining love, and his vulnerable love is first and foremost about you specifically, each and every one of you. He is an intensely personal God. And when we someday stand before the judgment seat of God, we will have no one else to advocate for us, not our friends, our family, our lawyer. It will only be us and Jesus and our Father. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may give amends for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Listen to Oswald Chambers and what he says. Picking up on the verse from David, Against you, you only have I sinned. When a person is convicted of sin in this way, he knows with every bit of his conscience that God would not dare forgive him. God did forgive him, then this person would have a stronger sense of justice than God. God does forgive, but it costs the breaking of his heart with the grief in the death of Christ to enable him to do so. The greatest miracle of grace of God is that he forgives sins, and it is the death of Jesus alone that enables the divine nature to forgive and to remain true to itself in doing so. It is shallow nonsense to say that God forgives us because he is love. Once we have been convicted of sin, we will never say this again. The love of God means Calvary, nothing less. The only basis for which we can forgive, that God can forgive me, is the cross of Christ. It is there that his conscience is satisfied. The love of God is spelled out on the cross and nowhere else. His vulnerability with his agape love cost him dearly because it came through his son who first became a baby, born in a manger, who died on a Roman cross, who descended into hell, was buried in a tomb, and rose again and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. And we get the privilege of sharing in this great purpose of love that he has put within us. The thing that just really humbles me the most is that he was raised eternally wounded with scars to show the cost that he endured. Thomas, remember, he said, unless I see his hands and the mark of his nails and place my finger in the mark of his nails and place my hand in the side, I will never believe. And eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And all the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger in here, 
and see my hands and put your hand in my place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. You have believed even though you haven't seen. So blessed are you. This was God being completely and utterly vulnerable. His story connects with our story when we believe this wonderful truth of divine love. Even though we have not seen his physical wounds, our stories are eternally connected. I think of the song from Casting Crowns where he says, The only scars in heaven, they won't belong to me and you. There will be no such thing as broken because the old will be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall down, is that the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now. And finally, a decision. You're out to buy a new tractor. Maybe we could put that back on there, John. Or an ATV or a car. You know you need something and what you have just doesn't cut it. So you go on Kijiji, and you go and you check it out. The sales guy sings its praises. It's got low hours, a um, lot of horsepower. You can put your biggest implement on it. It's, it's going to take it where it needs to go. Bring it out in your worst conditions. It won't disappoint. Maybe you go look at a couple other units, and you keep coming back to this one. It starts great. The paint looks good. There's not a lot of wear and tear. You see, the desire to buy it is there. The need to have it is there. But the tractor's not going to show up at your farm unless you make a decision to buy it. You have to move your will. You have to take a step of faith. You have to sign on the dotted line. You have to do those things. You have to make a decision before you can take the tractor home and put it to the test. Until you test it, You can't prove its worth. The vulnerability of our triune God voluntarily acted first to make a decision to do the unthinkable out of his great love for his pleasure. He requires us to make a decision too. Accepting this free gift of costly grace and in the sharing of this truth to those in our community or family. As most of us are believers, we believe in this truth. So this message is really about sharing it with those outside of our church family, to those who don't know the message of Jesus Christ. Really, that's what this message is all about. So God acted first, and it requires a decision from us. It's risky, it's vulnerable. But a decision to surrender his love and become vulnerable and to take a risk is what he is asking of us. And we do this by faith. Many of you here today have made a decision to trust in Jesus Christ when the Father drew you to believe. It's why you're here. Many of you have sacrificed financially to give to the work of this church in order to sustain the ministry of Jesus Christ. I have been the recipient of your kindness, your generosity. Many of you have given to so many other causes as well. 
You've given time to lead worship. Taught catechism, Sunday school, youth group, coffee break, jams and cadets, faithfully for what seems like decades. Many of you have served, served terms on council and the various committees. Some of you have taken the risk and done some work in third world countries. You most likely would say that it did more to open your eyes than you could do to help them. So God is transforming us, and he's working through us in a variety of ways. Many more are working in ways that we often don't see, that are not noticed. But God sees it, and the Lord is pleased. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ creating in you spiritual life as you pay it forward in the lives of others, in ways that he has gifted and called you to do so though it's hard to see the fruit at times. When we love like Jesus, will we get hurt? Yes. But it needs to be put into practice in order to fully grasp it. It requires obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commands, says Jesus. Are they hard? Jesus says that they're not hard. When we listen to the stillness of his voice and when we're obedient, all of a sudden his agape love becomes clear and it begins to grow within us. And we will know from the depth beyond comprehension that God so loved the world, so loves you, so loves the people in our community, so loves our enemies that we don't want to love, the people we're frustrated with. Those are the ones he wants to love too. so that whoever would believe in him and what he did would have eternal life. Then with this little boy, or the little boy that we talked about, we can say, it sure makes me feel warm, and it sure makes me feel rested, and it sure makes me feel clean and safe, and it sure does make life worth living. Amen. Amen. Let us pray and just have the worship team come forward, maybe. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, our great God. Our great God, who is a creating God, who is a sustaining God, but who is a a God who is vulnerable. Vulnerable enough to send your own son as a baby, and then eventually to die on a cross to take away the sins of the world, to take away my sins to be buried in a tomb, to rise again on the third day, to show that you have conquered sin, death, and hell. And that by simply believing in you, we'd we'd be given this gift of faith, this faith that will forever trust in your agape love, even though on this side of the veil it is limited. We know that... uh, that you, we can continue to trust in you and in your power and in your love. Thank you for all that you are. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.